Well, good evening. Now, if y'all respond better, I'll preach faster, okay? All right. It's a pleasure to be with you and a joy. And I'm really humbled that Mike asked me to come and share with you guys and to uh, offer this challenge to you. And I'm grateful that you came on Wednesday night to participate in something that I think will be very historic in the life of uh, this church. Uh, Joe, I want to say you guys did a great job with the music. It was awesome. You, uh, the young lady that sang a moment ago. And, and my dad's favorite singer was Hank Williams. So I had to do a flashback. I had to look up there and I'm like, is that Hank Williams? Anybody else like Hank Williams' music? Was I the only one? Okay. All right. And then when Josh cut in on that second verse, I said, there's Junior right there. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. He wasn't. Okay. Just kidding, Josh. It's okay. All right. Um, but uh, basically, I want to share with you that what we're about to embark on is not a program, okay? There's a difference between a program and a process. A program is something you do, you're done with it, and you're on to something else. We do programs in churches all the time. Uh, one of the things that we do is we usually have a revival, and then we say, okay, what's next? Or we have a big uh, fellowship of some sort. Or like your church has been accustomed to doing the men's uh, wild game dinner. And we say, okay, what are we going to do now after that? And this is a three-year process of asking you as church and as leaders in the church to give over and above what you're currently giving in order to reduce indebtedness of the church. When you build a building, it costs money. You build a house, it costs money. And so our goal is, is to try to reduce long-term debt so the church doesn't have long-term debt. And guess what? It's foolish to give all that interest money to the banks when that money can be used by your church to build bridges, as she just sang about a moment ago, and share the love of Christ and see more people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so that's what we're going to embark on as a process to help facilitate and help you to think about what God has given to you and how he's blessed you. We got blessed people in here, haven't we? Amen? Amen. Well, one or two of you are. I said we got blessed people in the room, right? Amen. 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 Thank you very much. Okay. Mike wants to get out here faster than y'all do. He's really saying amen. So the reality of it is that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And the whole process is taken out of a passage of scripture in First Chronicles chapter 29. So if you have your Bible with you, you may want to pull your Bible out and turn to First Chronicles chapter 29. That's in the uh, white, clean, sticky pages of the Old Testament that we don't often get used and read that much. And uh, I want to share with you a challenge tonight about being a part of this process that we're beginning tonight and be able to be a part of the challenge that God's speaking to your heart. Several years ago, I had the chance of going to Milstead Baptist Church, their Royal Ambassador Program, which is a, bo a boys' program for boys. It's sort of like Boy Scouts, but it's in church. Some of you may remember years ago, we had Royal Ambassadors in our churches, and they named their chapter after me. I thought you only got stuff named after you when you were dead and gone, but they decided they would name that chapter after their association missionary, and so it was named after me, and I had me to speak that night, and I asked the question of those little boys that were there. I said, who starts churches? And they gave me all kind of answers. They said, missionaries, other churches, Baptists start churches, 
foreign countries start churches. And one little boy even said the government starts churches. Well, I know that's not true because when the, if the government did it, then we'd really be in trouble because they are upset because we take churches and property off the tax rolls, not putting on the tax rolls because churches are nonprofits. All those answers were good, but they weren't completely correct. You see, churches actually began in the heart of God. That's where they began because Jesus said in Matthew 16, 13, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So first of all, remind yourself, this isn't your church. This is God's church. And he said, Upon this rock, we're building on the rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Now, what he's talking about there is not that we have that little candle out here, and we're just lighting our little candle, and we're trying to keep it out there so it doesn't go out, and maybe hide it. And it's a little song saying when I was a kid, hide it under a bushel. Lord, no, we got to let it shine. Winnie knows what I'm talking about. But what it's talking about pushing again, it's talking about not in a defensive posture, but the church should be in an offensive posture. You know what lost the game for the Falcons? They quit playing offense, didn't they? And then they quit playing defense, and then I don't know where they went. But the bottom line is, is that the reality of it is, we've got to be on offense, pushing back the darkness, taking people that are about to slip into eternity without Christ and bringing them into a relationship with a God who loves them and created them for eternity. And so the church begins when God instills in the hearts and lives of believers to start a new church. And the process has been the same for centuries. And in order to discover God's plan, you've got to go back to the Old Testament because the Old Testament is a picture of the New Testament. And it talks about two buildings that were built in the Old Testament. Well, actually, there were three. There was a tabernacle in the wilderness. You remember when Moses let them out and they took him and went into the uh, wilderness and they built a tabernacle that held the Ark of the Covenant. And so they, they uh, erected that. Then they built the temple. And uh, in terms of building, those were the two things that was built. And then the temple was remodeled twice. And the rebuilding of the temple, it was also rebuilt after it was destroyed in Nehemiah and Ezra's day. So guess what? God didn't finance any of those building projects with tithe money. I don't know if you knew that or not. Nobody, in other words, took what they were currently giving, which was the tithe, which is biblically to go to the upkeep of the support of the church and the pastors and start saying, we're going to put our money in building programs. Well, guess what I see all across the association, all across the, uh, the country? People get involved in building programs. They say, well, I like that, and I'm going to quit giving my tithe to the general fund, and I'm going to start giving my money over here to the building program. But all the building programs in Scripture were not used tithe money. It was offerings that were given above a tithe, and it was given regularly, and it was given continuously. And when the project was over, the free will offering stopped. And that's what we're talking about here is we're going to ask you to give and prayerfully consider giving over and above what you're currently giving. And then when the three-year period is up, or if you're going to do the math, that's 156 weeks, then you're going to say, okay, that process has stopped. 
So when the tabernacle in the wilderness was constructed, listen to the instructions Moses had. I'm going to get to Chronicles. Just hang on. I just know some of y'all are slow turners, so I want to make sure you got there fast. Tell the Israelites, this is in Exodus 25, to take an offering from me. You're to take my offering from everyone whose heart is stirred to give. In other words, they had already seen what God had done. He'd taken them out of the captivity and led them into a land that was promised to them. And the reality of it is their hearts were stirred by what Moses said about we're going to build a place where we can worship God. I hope your hearts are stirred about the fact that your church is going to be building a building to accommodate more people and reach more people for Christ. And its reality was is that the end result was in that passage of Scripture, and every time there was a building project, it ended in one thing, and that was revival. That means God's people got serious about what they were doing for God, and it resulted in revival. It wasn't about the money. It was about the revival that was taking place. And we give when we become more like God. And the greatest giver of all times was God. You heard this verse before, I'm sure, and you probably can say it with me. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, that means anybody, will not perish but will have everlasting life. So there's not a one of us could ever outgive God. Not a one of us has ever given a child and sacrificed their child. That's what God did. He gave his one and only son. And so if you and I are going to be godly, that means we got to become givers. And uh, we live in a world, guess what, that's not full of givers, but it's full of takers. And so we've got to have a model by church people and God's people by being givers. So all building projects resulted in spiritual awakening and revival. And God's building project began with a challenge and a call and a commitment. So I want you to look at verses 1 and 2 of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I want to call to your attention the challenge that was laid before them. And uh, this was from King David, who had a desire to build the house of the Lord. And I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Version. Then King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, God has chosen him alone, is young and inexperienced. The task is great, for the temple will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So to the best of my ability, I made provision for the house of my God, gold for the gold article, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, as well as onyx stones for mountain antimony, stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, and a great quantity of marble. So what he said was, is basically this, I'm not going to be able to build this temple for my God, because David was a warring king. The Bible literally says in other passages that the reason he couldn't build it because he had blood on his hands. And God said, you're not going to build the temple? Your son Solomon is. But you know what? That didn't hinder David from giving for the temple to be built. And so what he's saying here is, he said, I've made it my business to see that that temple gets built. Now, you might say, well, I've got limited resources, and I can't give, and I don't have the ability to give. But just think of the generations that are affected by churches through the years. 
and all the people that are going to be uh, pro provided for and come to faith in Christ through the ministry of Solid Rock Baptist Church long after we're gone. Because we got churches in our area here that are 200 years old. You think of how many people's lives get changed over a period of 200 years. And so we're building for the future and we're giving for the future so that future generations can benefit and have the same thing that you and I have, and that is a faith and a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So literally in verse 2, he's saying, I made it my business to build for the temple of my God. And then verses 2 through 5, he tells how much that he gave. And uh, it goes on to tell us in verse 3, Moreover, because of my delight in the house of my God, I now give my personal treasures. And here's what he said. Of gold and silver for the house of my God, over and above all that I provided for the holy house. 100 tons of gold, gold of Ophir, 250 tons of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the building, the gold for the gold work and the silver for the silver, for all the work to be done by the craftsmen, now who will volunteer and consecrate himself to the Lord this day? Now, I'm not a mathematician. That's not my good subject. That's why I'm married well. I'm married way above myself. And Kathy does all that kind of stuff. But commentators have said, how much did David give? And by today's standards, I want you to hear how much this man, David, this king gave. First of all, 100 tons of gold today would be equal to 2.8 billion with a B dollars. 250 tons of silver would be equivalent to 152 million dollars. Bronze at today's cost would be almost 1 million dollars. Iron, precious stones, wood, marble, and the list goes on and on and on of what David gave. Now you think back in biblical times that was a lot. That'd be a lot for nowadays, wouldn't it? But David was serious about his relationship with God, what God had done in his life, the grace that he had experienced, and he was willing to give to God. And today, God challenges us, just like in that passage. David said, the task is great. But guess what? God's greater. And so even though it's a big task, and we say, I don't know if I can do that, God is greater because God's work done God's way is not going to lack his resources. And so we think about the great task. We live in the middle of a dark world. You and I live in the third largest unchurched nation in the world. The third largest. Third only behind China and India and then the United States. Two of our missionaries that we have that are working in our association of churches, starting churches, are missionaries that were sent to the United States from other countries to be missionaries here. That's how lost we are in America today. We're no longer, we would like to think we're a Christian nation, but we're not anymore. And the reality of it is we're a post-Christian nation. And there's a lot of people that need to be reached. 85% of Newton County don't go to anybody's church. Nobody's. And so you and I have an opportunity to make a difference with our resources. Although the church has made great strides in reaching people, there's still yet hundreds and thousands of people all around here that have yet to hear the good news. And your church is still in the foundation stage. What, how many years old is the church now, Brother Mike? 27 years old. Yeah, some of y'all got children older than that, right? 
I do. And so it's still in the foundation stage. And there's still much work to be done. And I want you to remember the story of Moses and the tabernacle. I want to refer back to it again. And you can look at it in Exodus chapter 12. And what happened in that passage, because these people that Moses was leading were wilderness people. They came out of Egypt, and they had been, they'd been living in that wilderness. How in the world were they going to give? And you might be saying the same thing. I don't know how I can do any more than what I'm doing right now. But I want you to hear the testimony of these wilderness people. God already provided for them. And they seemed what seemed like an impossible task for man, these wilderness people were able to accomplish. Let me read it for you and let you hear what it said. How did God provide for them? Well, the scripture tells us they wore the same clothes and the same shoes for 40 years. Have you ever done that? Uh Uh-uh. But it didn't tell us they ever changed clothes. They had any other shoes. They had the same things on for 40 years. Now, some of you ladies that like shoes, I know you'd be upset about that. You wouldn't want to just one pair of shoes or have one purse. But they had that for 40 years. And so they were. how were they able to give? Well, God already worked it out. Because if you go back in the Old Testament, you'll see where before they left, they plundered the Egyptians. Anything that, those Egyptians were tired of those plagues, weren't they? And anything those Egyptians had, you know what they said? Take it with you. We don't want to hear any part of those people anymore. And so when God got ready for the tabernacle in the wilderness to be built, what did they come out with? All these treasures that they had taken with them from Egypt because God had already taken care of them. And the reality of it is, is God's taken care of you and I as well. He's taken well care of us. And we got everything we need. Not everything we want, but we have all we need. And the reality of it is, is that God will make a way where in the scripture it says there seems to be no way. In the same way, God will provide for you. But you know what you got to do first? You got to trust him. You got to trust him. That he'll make a way where it doesn't seem to be a way for you to do it. He'll make a way. What's solid rock church got to do if you're going to build on the rock? You got to trust him. You got to say, God, we don't know how this, where it's going to come from, but we're going to trust you in it. And we're going to let you do a miracle. And I assure you, if you trust him, he'll do far more than you anticipate he can do. If you'll trust him and have faith in God. We sang a hymn about that years ago. Have faith in God. He is on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches over his own. He will not fail. He must prevail. He's already prevailed. Have faith in God. Have faith in and God. So the call is there, and basically in verse number five, the call was said, Who's going to consecrate themselves to God today? It didn't say who's going to consecrate themselves to God tomorrow. It said who's going to do it today? In other words, it wasn't, well, I'll go home and think about that, and then decide if I'm going to do what God wants me to do. No, they, David issued a challenge right then and said, Who's going to consecrate himself to God today? And what we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come at your church and in this process is not equal gifts. We're going to talk about equal sacrifice. Not a person in this room makes the same amount of money. Some make more than others. Some are on fixed incomes. 
Some on real fixed incomes. And yeah, I understand what that means too. And the reality of it is, is we don't make the same, but we all can make the same sacrifice. And so many times I go around and I hear churches, I see people, and I told this to the leadership team that's going to be leading this. You'll get introduced to them in just a moment. That, you know, a lot of times I hear churches get up and they'll say something like this, or preachers. Now, we're going to buy chairs for our building. And all we need is for everybody to buy a chair for every person in their family plus one for a guest. That's not too hard. You can do that. Let's do it. And the businessman sitting there that's got one or maybe two businesses sits there and says, Oh, those chairs are what? $50 a piece? Those four of us? That's a piece of cake. Write the check right now. That's all that preacher wants? That's all God's expecting of me? Yeah, go ahead and do that. But that person that's a fixed income person is saying, I don't know how I'm going to buy my chair, much less the extra chair. So what you've done is you put an undue burden on that person. But the other person, you've left them less free and clear. They're okay. And so what we're talking about here is everybody can sacrifice. When Jesus was watching the offering being received, now that'll mess you up, but that's what he was doing. He was watching as everybody was giving in the temple. And what did he say? There was a lady that came by, and she gave two mites. Two mites, which was the smallest equivalent of money that they had back then. And Jesus stopped and said, she's given more than anybody else because she gave all she had. All she had. And so that's the kind of giving we're talking about. It's where we make sacrifices, and it's not based on equal commitments, but on equal sacrifice. So that's what I want to challenge you to do and think about tonight. So you see... The end result is to be producing revival. And the greatest need we have in our churches today is not more money. Some of y'all might want to write that down in case you said, I didn't ever think I'd hear a Baptist preacher say that. The greatest need we have is not more money. The greatest need we have is more of God in our lives, so we won't worry about money. And some of you worry about it. And the reality of it is, you got more God in your life. If God gets a hold of you, He's going to get a hold of your pocketbook and your billfold too. And you realize that none of it belongs to you. Scripture says, you come into the world naked, guess what? You're going to live the the same way. And so we don't have to worry about it because it's not ours to begin with. So I'm going to ask you to make three commitments tonight, challenge you to make these commitments. First of all, a commitment of your influence. Your influence. If you're a leader in the church, your influence is crucial to the success of what your church is trying to do. And it's true, people do what people see. So if you've got a bad attitude and you're wired on a negative post, and a leader, I want you to change your attitude tonight. I want you to go out of here and say, I ain't real sure about that. I've never been through something like what he's talking about. But if that's what our pastor and that's what our church believes we ought to be doing, I'm for it. And I'm going to support it. We don't want you going out of here saying, well, what did you think about last night when, you know, he was up there talking about uh, all that giving stuff. And I just don't agree with that. I don't like it at all. Because you know what that is? Gossip. 
And we need people that's going to be positive and say, we want to see God do something that he's never done at Solid Rock Church. I'm for it. I'm supporting it. Because if you go out of here negative, guess what? Other people that you influence are going to be the same way you are. They're going to be negative. If you're out of here and saying, yes, I'm ready to, as my dear friend Dr. Ron Long used to say, Mike, charge hell with a water pistol, we're going to do it. And we're going to see what God does with it. Then I want you to make a commitment of time. There's no shortcuts to success. Anything that you do and you achieve takes a lot of hard work. And I'm asking you to give time. And there's three things that I'm going to ask you to give time to. I'm going to explain to you what they are. And then in a few minutes, we're going to distribute a commitment card. I'm going to ask you to write a commitment that you'll do these things. First of all, we're going to have a generosity weekend. The generosity weekend is where I'm going to be back and I'm going to be teaching on what the Bible says about money. There's more said in this book about money than any other subject in the Bible. More than love, more than grace. That's the most talked about subject is money and about giving. And so we're going to go through that. Bible passages on what the Bible says about money. I'll share that. I'll share with you about grace giving, which is what you give when you've given a tithe. We're going to get to understand what a tithe is and what an offering is because there's a big difference in the Bible. And then the other thing we're going to do is we're going to go through a session on how to get out of debt. Now, raise your hand if you had any problem getting into debt. Anybody have trouble getting into debt? Raise your hand. We did that pretty easy, didn't we? How many of you are having trouble getting out of debt like me? We raised both hands, okay? All right, you hear what I'm saying? So we're going to do a practical session because here's the reality. The people in the church won't have any more money than the preachers instruct you on how to handle your money correctly. So you don't need more money. You need more God. And so if you start handling your money correctly, God blesses that and he uses it. And you think about it this way. Some folks are saying, well, I I could do this if I just had a little more money. It might be that you're not handling what you got already, and why would God give you more if you're not taking care of what he's already given you? Make sense? I mean, why, is it, why would he do that? That wouldn't be a good thing for him. Church-wide banquet at the close of this process, just before Easter, we're going to have a church-wide banquet. And the banquet's going to be a fellowship where we gather together. Obviously, you can't have it here. Going to go to another church and have it. And uh, so everybody be together in a fellowship. And that's the night we're going to ask everybody to make their commitments. And those commitments, and I'll be a great and wonderful experience. You don't want to miss it. It'll be a banquet that's going to focus on I love my church. We'll have testimonies. We'll be challenged about our giving. And that night we'll also hear how much the leaders gave. Because if you read this whole chapter of Chronicles, and I don't have time to do all that tonight, but I hope you will. You'll find out that after David gave, the Bible says the leaders saw the willingness of their leader and they began to give. And then after that, all the other people began to give. So we're going to do that biblical pattern. We're going to hear how much the leaders gave. And then we'll ask everybody else to give at that banquet. The last thing I want you to make a commitment to be at is Harvest Sunday. Harvest Sunday is when we're going to bring in our first offering for the 156 weeks of giving. You might say, I don't give every week. Well, however you give. You give every other week. 
because you get paid that way. You give monthly, however you give. We're going to ask you to give, but we're going to ask for a harvest offering that day, and that's when we'll probably, hopefully, have the largest offering in the history of Solid Rock Church where everybody brings an extra offering over and above their regular giving, and we'll see what God does with it. So I'm asking you to make a commitment of influence, commitment of time to be at those three events, the generosity weekend, the banquet, and also the harvest Sunday, and then a commitment of your money. If God wants this project done, guess what? He's got the resources to do it. But you know where they are? They're in our pocketbooks. That's where they are. They're in our billfolds. But if God wants it done, he's got the resources to accomplishment. And trust me, I've seen him do it time and time again. In our association alone, since I've been working and helping our churches raise money, we've raised between 10 and $15 million doing the same process that I've trained your leaders on and we're talking about tonight. So the resources are there. And you know where the greatest resources are? And the people that haven't been reached yet and taught how to be givers and faithful contributors to God's work. So in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 5, tells the testimony and commitment of Solomon. So I plan to build a temple for, for the name of my Lord, my God, according to what God, the Lord promised my father David. I put your son on the throne in your place, and he'll build the temple in my name. Now, I want you to listen to what Solomon was saying. I plan. He had a strong commitment. Even before Solomon built his great palace, he built the temple of God. In one of these campaigns that I did at one of our churches, there was a man who was leading the campaign, a layman in that church, that had sold his house. And he had moved into an apartment community in Conyers and was going to build a larger house. But when he put his house on the market, that thing sold like hotcakes. It was gone. And they had to move in that apartment so he'd have a place to live because he hadn't even picked out land, floor plans, or anything. When we got working through this process, guess what God did in his heart? God spoke to him, and at the end of be, in this process, God told him to give his equity in his house to the church. And he did. He said, I'm going to live in the apartments for three years because there are a lot of needs there. Ninety percent of the people that live in apartments don't go to anybody's church. And he said, I'm going to live there because there's people that need to be reached. And that same money I made and bought that house with and got equity on, guess what? God can do that again. Great testimony. So we're talking about making a commitment. He said, I had a plan to build a temple. Prior to that time, they'd worship God in that wilderness tabernacle, a portable tent. And so Solomon was committed to build a permanent place of worship for God. And then he said, I'm not doing it. So you put my name on a plaque and say, this is Solomon's temple, although it's referred to in the Bible sometimes and people refer to it as Solomon's temple. He said, I'm doing it for the name of the Lord my God. So when we build today, we're not doing it. So we can say, look what Solid Rock's doing. We can say, look what God is doing through Solid Rock Baptist Church. So here's the commitment. Verse number 6 of that passage in Chronicles. You go back there with me. It says, Then the leaders of the households, leaders of tribes, the commanders of thousands and hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly 
for the service of God. And it goes on to tell what they gave. And then in verse 9, Then the people rejoiced because of the leader's willingness to give, for they given to the Lord with a whole heart. They'd given with a whole heart. Now, you remember that tabernacle in the wilderness I was talking about earlier? You probably will never hear a Baptist preacher say this. But after the people gave to build that wilderness tabernacle, check me out. Go back and look at Exodus chapter 36. I want you to hear what, what Moses said to the people. Moses said to the people, The people are bringing more than is needed for the construction of the work of the, that the Lord commanded to be done. After Moses gave an order, he said, Let no man or woman make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people stopped giving. The materials were sufficient for them to do all the work. There was more than enough. Now, I know Brother Mike would love to get up and say about 18 months into this thing, Hey, we've got enough. Don't give anymore. We reached our goal. And it would stop. But then I know people too. And we're people and we're creatures of habit. And so the challenge is, that's what Moses did. Moses said, we've got more than enough. Don't give anymore. And I believe God's got all the resources he wants to do, the work he's wanting to do here in this place. What did it result in? Read the rest of that chapter when you get a minute, and you'll see that one of the greatest prayers of praise ever written in Scripture was David praising God and thanking God for what he'd done. And you know what David ultimately said? Who am I and who are these people that we could give anything to God? Because from God's hands, he's given us all that we have. Great attitude. What about you and I? Could we say that tonight? Who am I? And who are these people at Solid Rock that we could even think about giving anything to God because God is the greatest giver of all times. So here's what I believe. When we get to heaven, we're not going to be rewarded for our accomplishments, our greatness. I even had a pastor the other day who's just really struggling at his church and he said, I don't know if it's time for me to leave there or not. And Mike, you, you and I probably both have been there at times. And um, he said, I feel like that I've not been successful. And I said, let me ask you one thing. Have you been faithful to God where you are? You done what God told you to do? Well, I sure have. He started to weep. I said, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be measured by our greatness. We're going to be measured by our faithfulness. To God, have you been faithful to him? And he began to cry even more. He said, I've been faithful. I said, that's all God's going to measure. He's going to ask you, have you been faithful to me through these years? So well, what will you fill your hands tonight in your church? Will it be full of God and the resources he's given to you? And will you join us in this great challenge? I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask the 